Those are the types of songs that the Lord has commanded us to teach to our children of his crushing defeat over his enemies and his preservation of his people. We're reading this morning from Jeremiah chapter 10, the first seven verses. There's one sermon in between that I preached here some time ago from Jeremiah 9. You can look back at that if you're interested in the flow of it. But today we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. And this is the word of Almighty God. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due, for among all the wise men of the nations, and in all the kingdoms, there is none like you. That is the word of God, and may he bless it to our hearts today. Is your God pathetic, or is he powerful? (laughs) A beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, ten and a half tribes of Israel were taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., and only one and a half remained. They were taken into captivity because they pursued money. They loved the comforts and pleasures of life and consequently they ignored worship and then they abused the poor, the weak, the widows, the orphans and foreigners making them work for little so they could capitalize and make more money. Now the remaining one and a half tribes that was called Judah started to do exactly the same thing. They pursued money and then they turned to idolatry and the oppressing of the weak. So Yahweh, the covenant God, spoke up and he did this out of love. Now two of the things that Yahweh showed Judah was how pathetic the pagan gods were that they were worshipping and how powerful he was. So they could see the contrast of who the true God was that they would turn back to him. Our headings today In looking at this one, just as you see outlined in your notes, the pathetic gods of the non-believers and the powerful God of true believers. And our goals are, as we consider what God said to Judah, would be that you will take your eyes off of your idols and put them back on Yahweh. So your worship, so that you will worship him as you should and you will serve and care for his people. First, we consider the pathetic gods of non-believers. God continued here his address to the Jews through Jeremiah and reminded his people that he was their covenant God. He had a relationship with them. They were in a committed relationship. So he had the grounds for speaking to them. 
And then he starts to tell them in verse 2. God warned them that they were not to follow the ways of the Gentiles who received instructions from heavenly bodies, from the sun and the moon and the stars and meteors and comets. The Babylonians and Egyptians were known for being worshippers of the heavenly bodies. They rejected God as the first cause for everything. In fact, the Babylonians and Egyptians thought that eclipses and comets and meteors were signs of judgment. And the Israelites started to adopt some of their lies because they started worshipping some of these gods. The problem is, when the Jews started to look to the stars for direction, and they would, they would naturally want to give credit to the stars for what happened to their lives. And that would rob God of the glory. And God is not willing to share his glory with anyone. You shall have no other gods before my face. That indeed would be spitting at his word. But God had warned them. When they went into Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 9. He said when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Now someone may ask, but didn't God give us heavenly bodies as signs? For example, the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And the answer is yes, heavenly bodies were given as signs of the times to determine day and night and seasons and tides. Even the 12 constellations according to scientists that are often used as part of astrology in a wicked way. But even the Twelve constellations are useful as signs as well. For example, when the sun appears in cancer, it affects the temperature on earth. So we can learn what God is saying. This is natural revelation from God. But heavenly bodies were never given to predict personal futures and direct people how they were to live. And yet this is what God's people adopted from the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And then God showed how foolish it was that they would follow in the customs of these people and follow their pathetic gods. And notice how God begins, if you look at verse 3, for the customs of the people. This was really a slap at them. They called uh, the pagans, they called astrology their laws. And God calls it their customs. It was a direct slap and rightly so. By the way, this is why you must draw the distinction between what is God's law and what is tradition. There's that clear distinction that you don't insist on traditions being the laws of God. Now what did they do with their gods? They cut their gods from a tree. And decorated it for worship. You talk about how pathetic that, that was. They cut, they made their own God. Furthermore, the Bible says that they had to carry their gods instead of being carried by their gods. Can you imagine that? I was stunned being in India, even though I knew how. Uh, much about Hinduism 
it was shocking to see that in India, the way they worship their gods would be to gather flowers. Their gods somehow loved flowers. And sometimes they would pour some milk on their gods or some sweet prasads because that's, that's where he wore my, what my name means. It's a sweet offering to their gods. And that's it. The gods couldn't eat it. They just left it there and whoever came there just came and ate it. Dogs. That's the horrible way they treat it. I know as a child, I had a couple of friends and we would often, they'd leave food in the backyards for their gods to eat and a couple of friends of mine will go out there and help ourselves and they praise their gods for eating their food. How silly was that? How bad is that? That's a different matter. But that's what they thought. And here they're carrying their gods. You know, they could take their gods and make a gatepost. Their god was a dead trunk. Not only the, the stars in the heavens, but the idols they made on earth. And God's people started following that foolishness. They started to be pathetic. In, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 12, we hear these words. The blacksmiths with the thongs uh, works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. And even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. You think about the foolishness of this. When you take gold and things and fashion them into your gods... By the way, one of the things that other nations have done, places like Iran and others, they take the gods from other places, like the Shah of Iran did many years ago, and he could make a toilet bowl out of the god. That's how foolish it is to worship an idol that can be made into anything you want. Then they decorated their god to make him special. You know, the Bible says, if I were hungry, would I ask you, Psalm 50, I own everything. And in this case though. They added value to God. When they put gold and silver on him. Do you add anything to God. When you praise him. You cannot add anything to his essential nature. Because he is sufficient in himself. But when you can make your God more valuable. I don't know if any of you have come to where we used to worship. On Birch Mountain Scarborough. They had their gods. And they had to cover him up in winter time. So he wouldn't rot. How foolish is that to worship a God that you have to take care of? Not one who could carry you. Remember First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible talks about when Jesus was carrying his people. When he covered them in the clouds as they journeyed from Egypt to Canaan. And here they have to carry their gods instead of their gods carrying them. How pathetic was that? In fact, the Bible says here, they had to nail their gods in place so he wouldn't topple over. The God was literally like a scarecrow. The God had no breath. How could he give breath to others when he had no breath in himself? Their God was not capable of making any judgments. Their gods couldn't tell them what was right and what was wrong. When the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. They had no guidance from their gods. Very pathetic. Psalm 115 says they have mouths but do not 
speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. One of the passages there is quite striking is Isaiah 46, verses 1 and then verse 7. It says this. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaded, a burden to the weary beast. They bear it on the, shoulder, on the shoulder. They carry it and set it in place and it stands from its place. It shall not move. Though one cries out, yet it cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Their gods were trouble for the animals because the animals had to carry their gods on their backs. No wonder God told his people to avoid these impotent and pathetic gods. That's the first point. Now we come to the application of this. First of all, those who worship idols are pathetic and are worshiping pathetic gods. I want you to see the hopelessness of idolatry. See how they fear that which should not be feared. And then read about the easy, achievable demands of these gods. These gods don't require sinlessness. You see why idolatry is so attractive? Because you can live however you want. You can throw a blanket on your God and live however you want. And he can do nothing about it. What does the Bible say of our God? Our God says without holiness no one will see him. You cannot dare approach him without the perfect blood of Jesus Christ to offer in your place. You see why the world prefers idolatry? It tells them there's something they could do to fix their problem. Whereas the Bible says your solution is outside of yourself. Second, you need to run from astrologers. This is very common today. You know you could have your astrology sent to your email inbox every day. For a slight fee, of course. If astrologers deal with real demons, and hear this carefully, they may know things about your past that only you know. Because demons know what's going on. Demons know history. The difference is they can't predict your future. And yet that's where the danger lies. Because these people who work in the occult then start to give you directions of how you are to live in the future. For example, they may tell you, look, if you, um, you, you will meet a good stranger today and this person will be a good future partner, someone you may marry. And then you go and meet someone and it happens to be a nice person and you say, oh, that must be what it should be. And therefore, you get married to that person. That's not God speaking. God has given you directions about finding a spouse. That's the danger though. Because they know some of your past. And you trust them. Then it's easy for them to tell you things about the future. That you may follow. Isaiah chapter 47 verse 13 says this. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now your astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. They won't be able to help you. In fact, what these things do, if you deal with the people who deal with the occult and give you guidance, 
then you will self-fulfill. Like you go and hear what they tell you because they know your past, you predict, and you obey them with what they tell you about the future. There was a king, a famous king, called Malchasus of Tunis, and one of the things that was prophesied about him by somebody from fortune teller is that he would lose his kingdom and his life. So his response was to go away someplace far away where he was killed, he lost his kingdom, and he lost his life. Because of what they told him, he decided he was going to go. And, and in so doing, by obeying the devil, he lost his life. So be warned. This is still prevalent in our society. Number three, prosperity and adversity do not depend upon the stars. The Bible says God holds the stars and tells them where to go and when to shine and when not to shine. That's the work of God. He directs comets. He holds the constellations in place. Four, those who run to astrology deny Christianity because astrology is, in astrology there's no room for faith. There's no recognition of the holiness of God. There's no recognition of the sinfulness of man. There's no recognition of your need for Jesus Christ. There's no basis for sin. Because there's no one who has set up a standard by which we must live. In fact, astrology is a violent attack against the sovereignty of God. It's contemptible, very contemptible. Remember, the stars control nothing. God controls everything. Now, you might say, well, I haven't done that. I don't know of too many people who have done that. We, we tend to do a little bit better. But let me ask you a few personal things then. If you don't worship the stars, and you don't worship gods made out of wood and carved by men's hands, how closely do you hold your cell phone? If you lose your iPhone 14, for example, real, the new ones, or if you miss worship, which one hurts more? If you can't come to church one Sunday, or you lose your iPhone 14, 10 for that matter, you just lose your phone, which one hurts? Which one makes you complain more? What about people, uh, young people, for example, who bow to their university professors? They take what the university professors say as God's absolute truth, even when he speaks lies that contradict the Bible. This has been one of the pressures that young Christians have faced in the last 30 or 40 years, where university professors are indoctrinating them, and the students simply want to please their teachers, and they bow to literally what the teachers say. It's not an idol in the sense of one made out of stars or, or, looking at, or, or made out of wood, but it's an idol nonetheless. It's an idol of people. It's an idol of fake knowledge. Think about what is happening today about people who are pressured and willing or willingly bowed to wokeness. How we adjust how we speak. And being politically con correct controls our lives. That is a pathetic God as well. If you're afraid to call a man a man, you've bowed to another God. You're not recognizing Yahweh as the true and living God. 
What about environmentalism? Think of what people do today. Everything. If you go to the public schools in Canada, you are inundated, bombarded. I would say brainwashed about environmentalism. And that's all that people think about. If that instead, and we are to care for the world in a responsible way. That's a command from God. But if that controls your life, and it's all about that, then you have a pathetic God. Environmentalist is your God. Back in the 80s and 90s, feminism was the God and still continues today. And feminism did a lot of damage because it's altered the way we have, the way we worship God. It's changed even the nature of the singing. Do you believe that? It's kind of hard to believe. And yet it is true. And those who carry feminism in their bosom have a pathetic God that they serve. Anything that's adored, <coughs> worshipped, anything that guides your life, remember, whoever makes the law is God. And of course, what about money? Money controls many people's lives. That's all that matters. Often say, you, you better not have people say at the end of your life, ah, but he was a good provider. They better be able to say, what a godly man who knew Jesus Christ and lived for the Savior. You know, you can't even take your money when you go. You certainly can't take your money to hell. Money doesn't go anywhere. And everything you have, as a wise man says, Solomon and Ecclesiastes will be used up, will be wasted, will be stolen. And you know you can make even your children into gods. If you do, if they control what you do in your family, you are bowing to your children. You know, even marriage can be this way. And here's the danger in all of this. Whether it's money or husband or wife or children or iPhone or cottage or whatever you make into a God. God is a jealous God and he may remove what you have because he loves you. Be careful that God does not have to do that and that you set aside these gods. You know the unique thing about all of these gods and I've just listed a few is that none of these things can save your soul. None. And one more lesson. And it's a natural follow-up to this. And that's what Jeremiah made clear. Judgment always follows idolatry. Guaranteed. It doesn't have to be a physical image, as one made out of wood like a, or stone like the Hindus, or those who look at the moon and stars and, and worship them but could be one of these other things that controls your life, that brings you down. Now let's look for a few minutes at the powerful God now. We see the pathetic God, how useless they are, and the judgment that comes. But look at the powerful God from verse 6. You are great, and your name is great in might. In contrast to the Gentile foolishness, Jeremiah declared the true covenant God, Yahweh, was greater than all other gods. Exodus 15:11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders? Moses, 
as he saw the children of Israel being carried across the, the Red Sea on dry ground and then Pharaoh and his armies being buried in the waters of the Red Sea. Psalm 86 verse 8 says, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any gods like your works. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. See, our God is great in himself. God is great in power. He does not need anything from you. Psalm 77 verse 13. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You know, there are two doctrines that are very um, much attacked in our cultures. The doctrine of the word of God and the doctrine of God. And that's why God gave us the Psalms. To memorize, to sing, to teach them to our children. Because when you know the greatness and power of God, it influences everything in your life. Psalm 95 verse 3 says, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. In other words, it's so great you can't even know how great God is. And in Jeremiah, in the second part of chapter 6 that I read there, he repeats it for emphasis. When God repeats something, it's for emphasis. Take note. And in verse 7, Jeremiah stated that God is due fear of who he was. He was not a statue made out of stone and wood or a heavenly body just floating around in the sky. And then you think about it, who fears a statue? Does anyone here worry about Mars? No one. But you are concerned when God speaks. Because he's the true and living God. Revelation chapter 5 verse 4 says. Who shall not fear you O Lord and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. You look and you see the power of God. That's Romans 1. You look around you and you see. When you look at the things that are there so wonderfully made. God was really subtly telling the Jews not to fear the Babylonians. For God controlled them and their gods. For he had all power. God wanted them to know. And to have this, this wise fear of God. It's the foolish who run to idols. The wise run to God. Now the fact that. Yahweh is better, wiser, and more powerful than any other God is a fact only rejected by foolish men. First lesson. Only foolish men do so. Second, the fact that your God is better, wiser, and more powerful than any other God doesn't make you better. So you remember when you're dealing with this, the fact that you know the true God is something to be thankful for. Don't think that you are better. Keep your feet on the ground. You're merely privileged to be God's child. And third, you need to take the time to read and listen to sermons about the greatness and the goodness of God. You see, if you learn about Yahweh, when you realize what you have, you wouldn't run to some lesser gods. 
who are neither great nor good. Four, the really wise would fear God and listen to him. The dumb will look for direction from the stars and constellations and continue in their foolishness. The wise will say, we have God's word. He has told us how to live. We know what we should believe. We know how we should raise our families. We know how to vote at election times. We know the kinds of jobs to take. We know which church to be a member of. We look to the word of God. Let me read a little bit more of what follows this in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. It says this, but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. That, that's a precious, precious line. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. All the other gods will be destroyed. You realize that. Isaiah 30 verse 22. You will also defile the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away, get lost. That's what you want to do. You want to dig the holes, those dig, and bury those idols so that they will never be recovered. There's only one true God. Let's put it together and conclude. The Jews were fools to worship idols of wood and stone and gods of the sun, moon, and stars as the pagans did. Idols did nothing. They could not even do anything for themselves, let alone do for others. The idols didn't breathe, so they couldn't give breath to others. The idols had no morality, so they could not teach people right and wrong. Idols did not acknowledge original sin and man's fall into sin. So how could those idols lead them to the cross, the only place where they could be saved? The only place where they would be restored to right relationship with the true God. Idols couldn't take them to heaven. Idols will only be able to lead them to hell. But Yahweh could. Only he had the power and glory. No one adds glory to God. He never has to be nailed down to be kept in place so he doesn't fall over. He sustains you. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, this one true God did everything you needed so he could adopt you as the son. He did this through Jesus. So live like the redeemed of God as the ones who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Live victoriously worshiping the one true God of heaven and earth. Worship him with renewed passion. You have the one true God. And you are his child. And he made it possible. What about when you're tempted to stray? You know there are times we get into routine. We stop thinking about what we are doing. We come to church because that's what we've always done. 
Well, when you're tempted to stray, remember the greatness and the goodness of God at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart were rolled away. So there by faith I received my sight. That's where we need to go back. That the message of the cross will stay fresh in your lives. That your children are always here. You know the tendency is to start teaching. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. We can fall into that moral trap. But why is it that children will obey? It's because they know the cross. They know that Jesus loved them and they love Jesus. Go back to the cross. And then also remember to introduce others to this one true God. They need to be rescued. You know all of those who are in India. You have 1.5 billion. How many more hundreds of millions in China. All over the world. Who don't know Jesus Christ. They're worshipping a false God that will lead them to hell. They need to be rescued. And if you can't go. You send others. You send them with your prayers. You send them with your money. So that they will be able to share the message of the one true God. And if you're not a Christian, your God is nothing. This is not to insult you. This is to warn you that you will have to give an account to Yahweh, the one true God. Ask God to make you wise and show you your sin. Show you that your good works are good for nothing. And they will not satisfy him. But only the life from the death of Jesus Christ would. And that you would ask God to give that to you. You too can have that one.